The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. That's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter and all your podcast players and platform. I'll do that bit again. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Hey! Hey! Oh, it's okay! Alright! It's Sting! Okay! And it's, it's Sting! This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play! Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. Proudly brought to you, as always, by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me, as always, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? Better than I deserve to be, mate. How's yourself? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, I have not long finished watching this episode of Nitro we are covering today. And I've got to just say, before we get into it, my God, did this make me laugh. This was This was great. <laughs> A great television show, whereas maybe not a great wrestling show. But we will get into that in a moment. Uh, this episode we are talking about, of course, is the episode of Monday Nitro that first aired on the 23rd of September 1996. It received a 3.4 in the television ratings that evening, whereas Raw received a 2. So quite a big, substantial win for Nitro there. On Raw, we have The Undertaker defeating Mankind. In a dark match, he was not actually on the card himself, so that's good use of one of the very few people with name value. Uh, Mark Mark Miro defeated Farouk to win the Intercontinental title in the tournament that we've been discussing in previous weeks because the championship was vacant. Vader defeated Henry Godwin. Oh, dear me. The British Bulldog and Owen Hart defeated Skip and Zip, the Body Donners. And in the main event, the Stalker defeated hunter hurst helmsley so at least it was main evented by the legend that is barry windham i suppose danny yeah definitely and the right guy went over yeah exactly right, exactly curious though we have the undertaker and mankind in a dark match it only lasted four minutes but yeah that's a, a bit of an odd one for me when you got a, a guy like mankind still finding his feet in 96 but the undertaker is a name and he's not on the show and henry godwin is that <laughs> seems strange to me uh, also, we have a dark match. A man named Jason Arnd uh, was defeated by a young unknown by the name of Matt Hardy. So that's interesting to see as well. Yeah, that is. Um, I think you say Jason Arnd. That, I think that's one of the Mean Street Posse. Oh, okay. All right. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. But yeah, <laughs> there we go. Uh, also on this episode of Raw, it's the episode that famously had Jim Ross turn heel for a short period rather unsuccessfully when he introduces razor ramon and diesel to the program played by rick bogner and glenn jacobs respectively so this is when fake razor and fake diesel arrived on the other channel on monday night raw danny wow do you know what what because we've been discussing this um fake sting thing did wwf just rip off a, a wcw um idea do you know what? I've never looked at it that way. Yeah. I never thought of it that way before. I don't. I, I, I can't say for certain they did or they didn't. I know yeah. that listening to interviews and podcasts and reading what I read and so on, the general feeling I get is that Vince McMahon, for at least some percentage of his mind, believed that 
it was the gimmicks he invented that got those characters over, not the guys who were playing the roles of Razor and Diesel. So it was kind of a level of arrogance on his part, potentially. Yeah. But yeah, it was never going to work out, was it? Let's be honest. No. <laughs> No, indeed. Uh, This episode of Nitro, as I said, is quite an odd one. It's kind of split into two parts. We are told that uh, the main players, I guess, on the WCW roster, all apart from Randy Savage, are in Japan. And they've been there for a tour pretty much across the whole of that weekend and are missing Nitro. Uh, But speaking of the weekend, let's see how those absentees affect WCW's other programming over those few days with our little look at WCW Saturday Night. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Danny, what have you got for us? Absolutely, mate. We shall. So... You can definitely see Saturday night has taken a hit with um, not a lot of star power, but we do have some because the amazing French Canadians open up the show and they take on uh, Scott and Steve Armstrong and they actually defeat them. Okay. Yep. And we also, big stars here, side. we have Jim Powers defeating Disco Inferno. Oh, see, Disco Inferno is a funny one because at least he's got a gimmick and he's got. Uh, the comedy aspect i suppose yeah. and there's been a few matches in recent times that we've seen i say recent times but his more recent matches that we have seen then that i thought he, lo- he looks all right he's fairly entertaining but we haven't seen him on nitro for a little while have we no we really haven't but it, we'd love to see him come back i think so i think so yeah but people we have seen are ddp defeating super Callo. okay and we, uh, which is interesting because a little till later on, we get uh, something about Supercalo, but we're not going to spoil. Um, and then we have uh, Kevin Sullivan and Conan defeating JL and Joe Gomez. Right. Well, and, it is an odd mix, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, I can't remember the last time we saw JL. Can you, sir? We saw him on an episode of Nitro a little while back. Because yeah. I remember we were laughing at Tony Schiavone saying that JL is, is a mysterious individual, the mysterious JL. And it's like, everyone knows it's Jerry Lynn, Tony, wind your neck in, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. And then in our main event, we have the Cruiserweight Championship on the line as Rey Mysterio defeated uh, Juventud Carrera. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds, that, that's a decent match. That's something that we've seen on, yeah. on a Nitro and so on, isn't it? So Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, this edition of Nitro, as I said, opens up with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco reminding us that WCW is in Japan. And we have a few little, I suppose, moments of NWO uh, attempting to muscle in on the territory. We have uh, an ad in the newspaper, which I thought was quite funny. And the propaganda is being handed out again, as Larry Zabisco says, all the sheets of paper and the signs and, and so on. We then begin with our first contest, which is a tag match. And we have the Dungeon of Doom's music hitting. And yeah, this, this is a team that you mentioned on Saturday night, actually, Danny. We have Conan and Kevin Sullivan from the Dungeon of Doom, accompanied by Bubba. And they are taking on a team that I'm not sure if, there's, if they go forward and do anything together. I'm, I don't remember this. But Hoovertude Guerrera and Brad Armstrong. And instantly my interest was spiked. I'm thinking Hoovertude and, and Brad Armstrong. I would love to see more of that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, we love we the little tool we have seen of Brad Armstrong. Um, he's always been brilliant. So why not just put him in a tag team, and then he might get a chance to actually be on television a bit more. Mm. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, Conan starts the match by doing his best to try and kill Hoovertude Guerrera with a suplex, where he just literally drops him straight on his head. Nasty. And it looked brutal, didn't it? Yeah. And we have it, he looked out on his feet for a while as well, Hoovy. He kind of gets moved around by Conan, doesn't look fully with it. Um, Kevin Sullivan seems like he doesn't really want to tag in, but it, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Um, there's an argument as well at one stage. Eventually, the, the, the Dungeon of Doom team wins the match. But the biggest thing that we take from this opener, I think, is that Conan then has a bit of an argument with Kevin Sullivan. Bubba jumps Conan and they just kick the piss out of him for a little bit. 
and then standing back up and say, oh, that was an initiation, you know, in the Dungeon of Doom. I thought this was nonsense. What did you take away from this, Danny? Very much the same. It was a very flat finish, I found. Um, yeah, I, I wrote down, oh, Conan's out of the Dungeon of Doom. This is a good thing. And then yes. the next line, uh, <laughs> the next line I wrote, wait, what? Oh, he's back in. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was very happy. Uh, first of all, I didn't like Conan joining the Dungeon of Doom. It seems pointless. Yeah. It seems daft. It seems like a backward step for him when he would seem to be doing so well with the development of his character. And then when they attack him, I thought, okay, he's not been in the Dungeon of Doom long enough. Now he has joined them, but I'm happy he's out because I didn't want him in there in the first place. But then to be told it was just an initiation when nobody else has had to go through that to join their group. It, and, and Conan stands up and goes, yeah, I'm Dungeon of Doom and all this sort of stuff. It's like, I'd have been, he's been jumped from behind by Bubba and they, they literally, you know, welly the crap out of the poor guy and he just sort of stands up and he's like yeah okay great i'm, I'm all aboard it just I, I just think it's absolute crap to be fair yeah yeah it definitely is i mean he should have just joined the nwo because that way you won't need an in- initiation will you <laughs> well this is true this is true uh we return from our first ad break to see mike today interviewing randy savage who we're told is the only guy from the wcw roster still in the country everyone else is in japan which makes me think well who pays all the other wrestlers that we're seeing tonight then? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But never it mind. Does. It's kind of <laughs> discrediting them a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, mate. A little bit. <laughs> um, Savage, there's two issues for me with this. Savage is, you know, it, Savage is how Savage is. He he rambles, he mumbles, he shouts he, and so on. And a lot of the stuff he says, he talks in circles and, and all this sort of stuff. Mike Tanay also seems to struggle to be able to keep the microphone in front of Savage's mouth. So the volume drops up and down quite a bit. But one thing I do get from this is Randy Savage saying that nothing makes sense. And I thought to myself, you know what, Randy, you're spot on there. Nothing you've just said made any sense. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Did you pick up on anything? Did you take anything away from this, this interview? The only thing is that I've said it for the last couple of weeks. We need Mean Gene back. Please come back, Mean Gene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It's one of those things that, I mean, Mike Tanay, I, I like Mike Tanay, don't get me wrong, but this isn't his strongest role. And it's one of those things that I suppose you almost take take it for granted with how good Mean Gene was in this role. And it's something that I mean, commentators get a lot of praise because they can add or take away from the product. The wrestlers themselves, of course, um, production levels and all this sort of stuff gets you know praise or, or you know um, gets slagged off if it's not very good. But a backstage interviewer doesn't tend to get, in my opinion anyway, doesn't tend to get as much attention. But here, when we've seen potentially the the greatest of all time in in Mean Gene Oakland for so long, and then he's no longer there, the drop off with Gene not being there is so spectacular. It really does surprise me. And again, it's that thing of you don't know what you've got until it's gone, I suppose, Danny. Yeah, very well said, mate. Our next match, then, is one that I know you will have enjoyed, Danny, because of the entrance music in the little conversation we've had earlier today. Uh, We have Mike Enos, who now is being called Mean Mike Enos, which, again, it's just a bland heel name isn't it it's like calling somebody mean you know it doesn't really add anything to the gimmick and he is taking on this the very young chris jericho and the reason i say that you probably enjoyed this is because you've got a thing now for jericho's entrance theme haven't you absolutely mate i've been listening to it all day um <laughs> it's yep yeah, it's been stuck in my head i can say all weekend um but i will be honest with you this match it didn't take the boxes for me no okay interesting yeah. See, for me, this is a match of two halves. Yeah. Now, I mean, first of all, let's let's hear your thoughts. Talk us through what you think, and then I'll sort of say what's in my mind. I felt that the person that you're building up here is Chris Jericho. I felt that he sold too much, in my opinion. Like, he was on the defensive way too long. I mean, I know it's a back-and-forth match and things like that, but... Nobody cares about Mikey Noss, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, no disrespect to him, but, like, I mean, he's been rough and ready. Now he's back on his own. It's like, 
you don't want Chris Jericho to go in there and just steamroll over him. But at the same time, it was like Jericho just looked a little bit weak, in my opinion. And the match, to me, just went on a bit too long. I'll tell you what, I agree with you when you say the match went on maybe a touch too long. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can kind of understand maybe what they're trying to go for. Because Mike Enos, he does he does beat up upon Jericho for quite a while, and Jericho is this very bland um, white meat baby face, isn't he? He has to sort of overcome the the challenges and fight from underneath, so to speak. Uh, that's kind of just literally all he's got going for him at the moment. So I can understand kind of what they're trying to do with Enos beating upon him for quite a while, and then Jericho wins the match in the end. But you're right; it felt like it went on a bit too long with that, and it did yeah. seem, yeah. I mean, with regards to, to to my thoughts, I said this match was kind of a um, split into two halves for me. Early on, I really, I really liked what Mike Enos was doing, and the last time I saw this guy, I was pleasantly surprised as well because I, I think of Mike Enos, I think of the Beverly Brothers. The old WWF tag team, oh, yeah. but here it's here here is it's a completely different gimmick for him. Even though he has wrestled in that rough and ready tag as well, uh, incidentally his gear still says ready on it, which is <laughs> interesting. But I mean, we get a few spots that I quite enjoyed. We had the handshake spot where the heel gets the face to shake hands and then slaps him. That's always a, a good old fashioned heat spot for me. Uh, Enos then uses the top rope to spring himself over the ropes to hit Jericho with a shoulder block. Now, this guy's a big old lump, so that was quite spectacular. Uh, he hits a really powerful-looking belly-to-belly suplex. That was that was quite impressive. And then he also hits a clothesline off the apron to the floor. And again, this is not a small guy. So that all looked fantastic to me. And then we get the spot as well where Jericho gets body-slammed onto the steps but Mike Enos has turned the steps on their side, so they're standing quite tall, and there's the flat surface, and Jericho gets lamped on that. Yeah. But then Enos applies a bear hug, and it's not the bear hug itself I have an issue with. People know my thoughts and opinions on that move. After that, it seemed like everything just kind of fell apart. Mm. Um, the bear hug was applied for quite a short time, to be fair. Enos then went into a Boston Crab, which looked a bit messy, took him a long time to apply. Uh he then applied a backbreaker submission, sort of bending Jericho's spine over his shoulder as he stood there, which Jericho then managed to turn into a sunset flip, which I thought looked quite good. We then get a, a head scissors attempt from the top rope by Jericho, which gets turned into a powerbomb. And that looks spectacular. But again, a bit clunky, a bit off. I don't know if the timing wasn't quite there. Uh, and then Enos tries to hit a big power slam. Jericho rolls through the power slam hooks the leg and gets a three count up until the bear hug. I was looking at this and thinking Mike Enos looks really good. And Jericho was obviously working hard to help the guy look good after the bear hug. It just seemed everything just didn't quite work. It wasn't quite in sync. It wasn't quite, it, it just seemed to be off a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly does, mate. Um, would you suggest that this match would have been better if the match just ended just before the bear hug? Uh, potentially. I mean, the issue with that is Enos has just been dominating the match right up to that point. So oh, yeah. you'd have to change a little bit of what they're doing, I suppose. But again, I can see why it's done this way, because Jericho has fought back from this, you know, this huge onslaught by his bigger opponent. He's the underdog. He's fighting back and still gets the victory and so on. So I can see what they're trying to do. But yeah, it was just a bit, I, I don't know if you used the word, just a bit clunky for me. Yeah, but one thing is, we are seeing the evolution of Chris Jericho, and I'm really happy about um, seeing it from the beginning. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Uh, you can also check out earlier Jericho as well on the WWE Network when he was tagging with Lance Storm in Smoky Mountain Wrestling as yep. a tag team called the Three the Thrill Seekers, I believe they were referred to as. And some of the stuff they were doing in that time frame, you know, the double drop kicks and all that sort of stuff, it looks incredible. So that's worth checking out as well. Big fan of Smoky Mountain. But yeah, there we go. I then had quite a surprise, Danny, for the next match. I'm sat watching the telly, half trying to make notes, half watching the telly, and Goldberg's music hits. And it completely threw me. And I'm thinking, what? No. What? Hang on. <laughs> What? No, this is 96. Hang on. And then Pat Tanaka comes out. So obviously it's recycled music. So, <laughs> But it completely yeah. blew my mind. I, I, you know, that, that really threw me, mate. Yeah, the same here, mate. I was I actually wrote down 
on my uh, notes up. What I do is I write the matches down and then write little notes underneath them. I write G O L. And then when Pat Tanaka came out, I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, in a way, we're wrong to say that Goldberg's music hit. If anything, Goldberg spent his career coming out to Pat Tanaka's music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's very strange it's because when it's like, um, I believe it was a real American used for somebody else before Hulk Hogan. The great Barry Windham. Yes. And nobody knows it. And it's such a shame because that's Hulk Hogan has stole Barry Windham's music. Yeah, well, it wasn't just Barry Windham. It was Barry Windham and uh, Mike Rotunda, who we see later on on this show as VK Wall Street. Um, they were a tag team going back to the, the mid 80s, early ish 80s. Around WrestleMania 1 time was kind of when they were there. So that would have been 84, 85, something like that. Yeah. And uh, Rick Derringer, who is the guy who composed Real American, I believe it was actually written and composed for the, I think they called themselves the American Express or the US Express or something yeah. like that. And the song was composed for them, but then given to Hogan because they thought it was it was better. And Wyndham actually left the company not long after that and returned back to Jim Cocker Promotions in, in the sort of mid 80s as anyway. Um, interestingly enough, so I didn't, I was completely unaware of until very recently that Rick Derringer, who did Real American, also recorded and wrote and, and did the vocals for Demolition's entrance theme in the 80s as well. Yeah. I mean, I didn't fantastic know songs. Yeah, brilliant stuff in it. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Pat Tanaka, though, speaking of entrance music and brilliant entrances and, and so on, he is taking on favorite of the show or favorite of Danny's at least are a good buddy glacier Danny do you want to talk us through this mate the glacier entrance and and what goes on in this match absolutely man I've just sat there in awe watching uh glacier just come through the snow um doing his uh entrance and I was thinking okay we're gonna get a nice long match here we're gonna get impressive but this match is kind of three moves isn't it and then we get the win thank goodness that um the right guy won as, as i was saying earlier um yeah uh pat tanaka gets one power bomb in and that's it but to me i would have loved this if this was a tad longer i mean did you think this was a bit short or do you think it was right because it's glacier shown his um skills uh, I, i've got no real issue with it i mean i understand I understand from the viewpoint of we want to see more from Glacier at this point, or yeah. or at least you do, having watching it for the first time. You're interested, you're intrigued, you want to see more from the character and so on. And they've had this months-long build-up and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So I get you want to see more from him. Uh, and I suppose in a way, it works as well with regards to a consumer standpoint and what WCW are, are trying to sell us with Glacier. He leaves us and they leave us wanting more so we want to tune in and see him again so i suppose it works from that standpoint the other side of the coin you don't want the guy looking weak this early he's only had this is only his second nitro match he's he's wrestled a couple of times on pro and so on so by coming out to that incredible entrance which takes up a substantial amount of airtime in its own right as well yeah. by the way so that that takes up time away from the match as well potentially we see him doing his, a few of his martial arts moves and so on. He takes the power bomb and doesn't no sell it, but gets up pretty bloody quickly. Yeah. Hits that spin kick finisher for the three count. It makes Glacier look incredibly strong. It makes him look like this, this, this machine that's just rolled over his opponent. And we mentioned Tanaka was using Goldberg's music. That's the biggest comparison I can place to it, really. Because when we yeah. see the debut of Goldberg in later years and Goldberg runs through half the roster on his way up the card, the way they do it with Goldberg is spot on. It's almost like, it's almost like that idea is being used here with Glacier for, the, for this match anyway, in that he's come in, crash bang wallop, smashed his opponent apart, picked up the win. So yeah. I've got no real issue with it for this early in his career, I guess. Yeah. But I've got a T-shirt suggestion for you, Si, this match uh, brought to me. Okay. Glacier must pose, because after every match, he does his little um, exhibition uh, posing, doesn't he? <laughs> Fantastic. I can imagine it now, black T-shirt with the, the, the sort of 
lightning blue kind of coloring on it yeah i'll, I'll get i'll get on to that next batch of t-shirts <laughs> i make for the network i'll knock a glacier must pose t-shirt Danny. let's do it <laughs> <laughs> um next up we have a tag team title match and again this is another one that's the wrestling aspect of it i don't really think is all that great to be fair uh, we have the public enemy coming out and they're carrying their table, waving their arms about and the crowd are into them. And I, I felt quite almost dirty in a way because I was sat in, in my front room watching this earlier today, actually bobbing my head back and forth along with the public enemy. And I was like, what am I doing? But um, <laughs> they're taking on our, our tag team champions uh, who are, of course, Harlem Heat. We then learn as well via the commentary team that Harlem Heat are going to be taking on the Outsiders at Halloween Havoc for the tag team titles. And Arn Anderson is going to go one-on-one with Lex Luger at Halloween Havoc. So that's going to be quite interesting, Danny, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving uh, because I was thinking, yeah, we're not getting Arn or Lex on this episode. So I wonder how they're going to drop uh, continue that storyline. So, yeah, I was excited for that. Mm, indeed. Um, something that you notice, well, I noticed myself anyway, in, in this particular match... <laughs> It's kind of been going on a while, not just this show, not just this match, but previous shows. But in this match, it really cranks up. It's how much Larry Zabisco is going after the NWO and the Outsiders on his commentary. Yeah. He's calling the Outsiders parasites. I mean, parasite seems to be Larry Zabisco's word of the week. It's like he's just learned a new word because that's what he says every 30 seconds. And he's really, really going for them here, isn't he, Danny? Yeah, and I think the only person he hates more than the NWO is Public Enemy because he's all over them as well in this match. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> he says uh, uh, at one just before the bell um, uh, rings, Zabisco says uh, Public Enemy couldn't wrestle their way out of a bag. And <laughs> to be honest, he's right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they just kind of dance and go through tables and then that's the, then they go get their check, I suppose. But yeah. um, uh, Booker T takes Johnny Grunge's head off with a high spin kick. That aside, this is just literally a few minutes of punchy, kicky bullshit, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it's more like I found um, a lot of this match was Harlem Heat um, dominating with um, Public Enemy, who... I'm guessing because I, I had struggles with our public enemies' heels still, or are they faces? Um, they was making babyface comebacks. Mm. Yeah, I think and Harlem Heat. I think are. It's a weird one again. It's so shades of grey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nobody we get a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Harlem Heat have been portrayed as heels in recent weeks. We know Sherry's a heel, and she's associated with them. But then they're going to be taking on the outsiders, so they you would imagine that Harlem Heat would be pushed as the baby faces in that match. So yeah, it's really interesting the way that a lot of the characters and performers on on WWE TV at this time are in that kind of middle ground, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, the fact that Larry Sabisco's kind of um, going after Public Enemy as well make is making me think they're heels. But yeah, yeah, like you just said, shades of grey. Um, and then we get something uh, during, uh, well, not after the match, in between the match, we get um, a certain Scottish Danny's limo count 13. Yes, we do indeed. We do indeed. A limo arrives and it's got NWO on the license plate this time. So there's no confusion there as to who is in that limo. We come back from seeing the NWO arrive to see Booker T miss the Harlem hangover. There's a messy kind of effort at a cover here where one member of Harlem Heat is covering a member of Public Enemy. But no, the other way around story. And the guy from Public Enemy has his foot on the ropes. The referee almost looks like he's counted three, but stops because he's seen his foot on the rope. And it's all a bit of a mess. Then we get a random small package. And that looks clunky and messy as well. You don't really know what's going on. A three count is counted. The bell rings, Harlem Heat's music hits, and I just signed it off as, okay, Harlem Heat have won. Because we're talking about them going to the pay-per-view to face the Outsiders for the title. I wouldn't imagine Public Enemy beating them for the championship on a random Nitro. But then all of a sudden, the music stops. They start playing Public Public Enemy's music, and 
Nick Patrick, the referee, is saying, no, 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 these guys have won the match. And the crowd really popped for this, Danny, don't they? Yeah, as did I. I was blown away by this result because, I mean, they will say anything can happen on live television. This is a perfect example of it. Um, I did not see this title change coming. No, nor me. Not in the slightest. Uh, this then takes us into our second hour. So we get Eric Bischoff, Mike Tanay, and uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. But only for a very short time. But we'll get to that in a moment. Of course, being hour two, we get all the pyro and the explosions and the hyperbowl and so on. But something was wrong with either the pyro or the audio. Because the pyro that was coming up through the stage just sounded like, it just sounded like squeaky farts when it was going off. <laughs> Did you notice this? It was just like, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it certainly did. Maybe this was uh, another thing of uh, NWO uh, playing tricks with uh, the WCW production truck. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> it's probably so, not, but let's just give them credit yeah. for it. <laughs> you can imagine it like okay, Nash turning around to the rest of the gang and just being like, do you know what would really mess with them? Let's make their pyro sound like farts. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> Our opening match for the second hour, then, is, from what we're told, the only WCW wrestler left in the United States at this point in time, match on Randy Savage. But that obviously means he can't wrestle anyone. But lo and behold, there is another WCW wrestler still in the building, and that is, sadly, Greg the Hammer Valentine. And Greg Valentine comes out looking like uh, Greg Valentine does, a middle-aged auntie who is in a dressing gown on the way to the local shop to go get 20 cigarettes. And... <laughs> Savage comes out to a, a good reaction. There's a young kid on his parents' shoulders, and Savage tries to, as much as he can to stretch over the front row to high-five this kid. And when he finally gets close enough to high-five the little one, the kid is absolutely terrified, ducks down and hides. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's something that kid can look back on uh, for the rest of his life and say, I had a moment on that show of the Macho Man. Mm, exactly. Well, I avoided a moment with the match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the match begins with Greg Valentine just ragging Savage about. He throws him outside the ring several times really, really hard. And it looked like really nasty bumps Savage took, Danny, didn't it? It really did, mate. And for the um, brief time we get a match with these two, um, I did find Valentine kept working on um, Savage's lower region. Uh, he hit that... Um, Basically, it's just a kick in the dick, isn't it? When you split, <laughs> <laughs> when you split your legs open, a hammer just makes it look legit. It's just like kick. Mm, it is, and he, he he drops that headbutt as well, doesn't he? And they say yeah. it's in the sternum, but we know he's headbutting his bollocks. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, we also learn as well here that on a dark match before the beginning of Nitro, Super Calo dislocated his elbow and he's on the way to the hospital. So I'm assuming we're not going to see much of him for the upcoming weeks, Danny. No, this was a shame. Uh, when Eric Bischoff announced this, um, I was just thinking, oh, man, we was just getting into him as well. I mean, he had that great match at the pay-per-view and he had a, a fantastic tag match on the follow-up. I was thinking, oh, maybe he's going to be chucked into the Cruiserweight division and we're going to see a lot of standout matches. But yeah, such a shame the injury bug has come to him. Yes, it is indeed. It is indeed. I mean, Savage then does what Savage does, and he goes a bit crazy with a chair to basically be disqualified. So I suppose that means that Greg Valentine has beaten Randy Savage on an episode of Monday Nitro in 1996. Sounds a bit odd, but that's what's Love happened. <laughs> <laughs> the NWO arrive. Uh, we see Miss Elizabeth looking very scared as the NWO attack Savage. And they they hit him with their finishers. They spray paint his bold spot whilst Hogan is saying <laughs> this was great. Hogan was saying that he's been in Hollywood for all the bright lights, but the glare of Savage's bold spot is too much to handle. So they spray paint his bold spot. I thought that was so funny. Oh, that was fantastic. And yeah, um, I might have to buy a can of spray paint soon because that did look like a nice job he did. <laughs> 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 uh, um, I suppose we should mention as well that the NWO are all there looking how they look in the NWO shirts and so on Hogan's not with them straight off the bat to be fair, he's not there right away I've kind of approached that the wrong way apologies, but 
the giant is not dressed like them. The giant's in a suit, or at least a waistcoat and a shirt and trousers. Looks completely out of place. But it wasn't until much later on in the show that I realised why he was dressed that way. But we'll get to that in a moment. The giant then introduces Hogan on the mic. Hogan then comes out, hits his leg drop on Savage. And some of that really tickled me, obviously, with the sponsorship deal that Savage has and the sponsorship deal for Halloween Havoc, where Savage is going to wrestle Hogan. Uh, Nash whips Randy Savage with a Slim Jim. And I, I, I was crying with laughter. It was so funny. <laughs> Such good stuff. Um, I made a note about the Giants um, when he gets on the microphone. From day one, where we've started this project, I. I have complained about the giant using this stupid gimmicky voice and cartoonish uh, mannerisms. That has all gone away now. He was using his normal voice and he is much better like this. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, we all, we then get effectively the rest of the show. It's a takeover because the NWO are literally going to run the last hour of Nitro. Uh, we have Hall and Nash at the commentary desk. Eric Bischoff is the only one left there. Um, Heenan and, and the rest have pegged it. They are, they are gone. They are not hanging around for this nonsense. Ted DiBiase arrives, and the whole of the NWO is at the commentary desk, roughing up Bischoff quite a bit, to be honest, telling him to sit down, slapping him on the back, and, and so on, before we have a new member unveiled to the NWO. Ted DiBiase's head of security and a name that is synonymous with pro wrestling, apparently, which obviously we know is a bit of a rib. <laughs> Out comes the former Virgil in an NWO shirt, who's now being referred to as Vincent, as a dig at Vince McMahon, obviously. And he comes out and starts patting Bischoff on the back, but or slapping him so hard on the back, he's, he stands a risk of, you know, damaging his spine and, uh, and and basically the nwo looked like they've took over and it's just absolute chaos danny isn't it what were you thinking when you saw this i mean first of all the, the interactions with savage and then the commentary desk and then vincent loved every moment of this because it just felt i mean they had set this up beginning last week with the announcement of um well several announcements of ww guys not being here and i was thinking okay, it's all about mind games. Like They're going to make them think they're coming to attack them. But to actually pay it off was fantastic. And Savage um, has been portrayed through throughout the entire night as a man on an island, despite loads of Dove Stubby wrestlers still being there. Um, when the NWO come out and attack him, um, it just, just feels like this really happened, like a real takeover. And then when we get... Um, Virgil coming out I'll call him but that's what I know him as well yes, Vincent yes. I love this because um, when Scott Hall gets on the commentary um, uh, headsets and says bring out Vince bring out Vince I can imagine Vincent Mann was going mental at this <laughs> <laughs> apparently the name Vincent were, again this, everyone involved denies all this this sort of stuff but it's a well known tale that um <laughs> Virgil was named Virgil because he was basically a whipping boy and all that sort of stuff in the WWF. And he was called Virgil because that's Dusty Rhodes' real name. So it was done as a sort of point and laugh at Dusty Rhodes kind of effort before Dusty signed for the WWF uh, and so on. And well, actually, maybe around the same time, possibly possibly after. But yes, he was referred to as Virgil because it was, it was Virgil's... Virgil was Dusty Rhodes' real name. And he was booking Jim Crockett Promotions at the time. And then when he went back, he was booking WCW again. For a short period, anyway. So, yes, he that, that was that. And then naming of Vincent being Vincent was like the the, the receipt for that um, poking fun at Virgil and Dusty Rhodes and so on. It's what the rumours are. Everyone involved has denied this, but it's a bit too much of a coincidence for me, Danny. Yeah, it definitely. But I can imagine this would be one of the very few times that Virgil actually had his name chanted because we get a small Virgil chant when he shows up. Yes. Um, <laughs> I had never seen this before. I'd never seen, I never knew how Ver, uh, Vincent joined the NWO. So it was quite big when he just came out, especially when um, the NWO is saying, oh, bring out Vince. I wonder if 
somebody watching this actually thought Vince McMahon was going to walk out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think people would have been that silly. But at the same time, maybe they did. I don't know. Yeah, but why I say that is because on Raw, we had the promise the week before that Scott Hall, well, not Scott, Razor Ramon and Diesel were coming out. So I'm wondering if they played on that and said, maybe there's sort of an interpromotional okay. war going on. Um, but really, it's just two wrestling companies just being bitter at each other. <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed. We then get a announcement paid for by the NWO, and it's them selling their merchandise, the, the famous and iconic shirt that is still available to this day. And then we get Scott Hall, Nash and Hogan saying they're going to take over Hollywood. They're going to take over all these different sports. They mentioned Kevin Green in basketball and say, oh, he's your guy, isn't he, to Eric Bischoff? And they say about taking over the NFL, because that looked weak on the weekend and so on, before somebody says, well, we, we can take over NASCAR. But to do that, they need a car. And out comes the NWO NASCAR racing car. And I thought this looked so cool. Yeah. Oh, man, that it just looks fantastic. Um, I've not watched NASCAR in my life, but I want to see, I want to go back and actually watch that race to see if it did any good. <laughs> well, the, the racing, the guy who was driving for them, Kyle Petty, who yeah. he, he was an established NASCAR racer, and they had the WCW NASCAR vehicle for quite a few years. Somebody else was driving. I think we saw that unveiled on episode Nitro, maybe, didn't we? Way back I, when. Yes. Yeah, it does ring a bell. And also the Monster Jam. Yes, okay. And the, the WCW uh, Nitro, sorry, WCW NASCAR car had been used in, in for various seasons of NASCAR for a while. I mean, WCW originally is a, is a southern company. NASCAR is big in the southern states. Um, from what I can gather, Ted Turner was a NASCAR fan himself from things I've read and so on. So having the WCW car made sense. But then, of course... Now we've got this sort of uh, war going on between the NWO and WCW. It makes sense for the NWO to want their own NASCAR vehicle. So, yeah, they raced against each other for, for a, 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 quite a period, I think, Donny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, as you were saying, it just looked impressive as hell. That paint job on that, oh, just fantastic. Yeah, really cool, really cool. Uh, I then find out why the Giant is dressed the way he is. He is on announce duty. For the rest of the evening, he is going to be our ring announcer. And whereas it's relatively funny, he is pretty terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. We have uh, various members of the NWO on commentary throughout the rest of the evening. Um, our first match announced by the NWO is Jim Powers versus VK Wall Street. And we get Scott Hall and Kevin Nash talking about how Jim Powers looks in great shape. He must be drinking his milk and taking his vitamins. And then Scott Hall, I think it was, just openly states he's on the juice. And it's just, it's just like, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, the, the digs. I mean, the rest of the show is going to be a, a tribute to Scott Hall's commentary because he is brilliant on um, at the commentary desk. It, it is. It's fantastic. It's so, it's so funny. Um, the outsiders then leave the commentary desk and beat up Jim Powers. VK uh, Wall Street has just disappeared. He wants no part of this nonsense. The Giant then beats Powers. So that's the match there. It was the Giant against Jim Powers instead. It ended up being. And again, the match was something of nothing, a chokeslam, and that was kind of it and so on. Um, but we have a split screen and we have Hulk Hogan backstage running around just randomly spray painting NWO on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a teenager. <laughs> Singing about the glory of Hollywood and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and then he bumps into the nasty boys. He says he wants to talk business. And he tells them to not worry about their tag match later on. It's took care of. And he gives them the card to his hotel room. Says there's champagne waiting for them. Head back there and we'll talk business later. What did you think of this, Danny? It makes the nasty everything that the nasty boys had been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks nothing. Like it it makes it not matter at all because they were saying on the microphone in promos in backstage interviews, Well, we're friends with Hulk Hogan, but we're not gonna take a side. They just look like two giant hypocrites now, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it means we've had all those ranty, shouty, bullshit promos <laughs> for weeks and weeks that I've had to sit through for absolutely nothing. 
Yes, and also I very much fear for the NWO because, come on, the nasty boys. Oh, I mean, we talked about um, in the future this will be watered down, but the nasty boys, please, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll discuss it um, further, I think, when we record our second NWO special. Yeah. Uh, in a, in well, I imagine in a couple of weeks' time because we're getting to a point where I think we've got enough to address again with the new members joining and so on. But you do end up very much with an NWO upper tier and then an NWO almost B team. So, yeah, so I I suppose you do, you need, again, we'll discuss it on our our, our NWO special episode, but very briefly, the NWO adding all these members gets criticised a lot because people say it watered it down, and rightfully so, it did, it watered it down and, and, and all that. However, they're supposed to be at war with WCW. You can't go to war with three guys. Ah, uh, you got the whole WCW roster there for it to make more sense. And we're, and at this stage, especially in late '96, they're they're wanting the NWO to have their own show. Oh, they're yeah. wanting the NWO to basically be its own promotion. So you need, uh, I, I don't know if roster is the right term, but you need more names. You need a roster on the NWO side first of all to even up the odds for this war. Because effectively, three guys would get their asses kicked by the whole WCW roster, so the war would be non-existent. Or the three guys would keep beating up the WCW roster, which makes WCW look very weak because it's only three guys. So it needs to be balanced out, and that's why I can see what they're trying to do. And in hindsight, looking back now, you know, with twenty twenty-three thoughts in my mind, yeah, okay, some a lot of it didn't work in the end. But at this stage, you can see what they're heading towards. So it does kind of make sense to me. Yeah, no, you beautifully said it. So, and I respect everything you said. But the nasty boys. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, man. Um, back at the commentary table, we have Hulk Hogan sat there with Randy Savage's hat on, which I got a kick out of that as well. And they're just giving Bischoff more and more shit. Um, knocking his headset off, telling him to put his headset back on, knocking his headset off. Um, I think at one stage, Scott Hall asks if he can have a raise. Um, it's just absolute <laughs> gold all the time from well, all of them, Scott Hall. And they just look like they're having such a good time. And again, it comes back to they are cool. Yeah. I look at these guys now. I mean, in, in 1996. 23rd of September 1996, I would have been 15. Oh, incidentally, 23rd of September 1996, my wife turned 15. That was actually her birthday. But there we go. Um, (laughs) I would have been 15. I would have looked at these guys, especially Scott Hall, especially the way Nash is, and thought, that's who I want to hang about with. Mm. That's who I want to be like. I look at, say, well, the next match, for argument's sake, I look at Jim Duggan and Ron Studd. Not nowhere near the same level. No. So it, it kind of it's difficult for me to envisage people wanting to boo them back then, especially you know the teenagers and so on, because they're just too cool. Absolutely, and the thing with um, this is why WCW was getting ahead because on WWF you had you their former gimmicks in. Um, Rick Bogner and um, Glenn Jacobs who have come out and it's like this isn't cool I mean if you flip on and see the real Razor Ramon and um, Diesel on the other channel they're doing much cooler things and they're coming off they're being more just more legitimate yeah exactly exactly Um, as I mentioned we have Jim Duggan against Ron Sturd Scott Hall on commentary says there's been a little change of plans and then Hogan and Nash um, beat the shit out of John's, uh, Ron Studd. <laughs> and he's no longer uh, an option for the match. Six is going to wrestle instead. We have, again, uh, the giant on uh, announced duty with a new NWO microphone now, which I thought was quite a nice touch. Yeah. And again, the, the match, there's, there's nothing to it. It's, it's just a bit of punchy, kicky stuff. Duggan hits the three-point stance into a clothesline, which he uses as his finisher before the giant drags him to the outside and chokeslams him for six to win the match. Again, from a wrestling standpoint, not a lot there, Danny, was there? 
There wasn't, but I will give a big shout out to Six Park because he sold beautifully for um, Hacksaw Duggan. There was, I mean, this is, I, if someone said to me, oh, Six Park's first uh, WCW match was against Hacksaw Duggan, I would have never believed them. But the fact that he sold, uh, like when Jim Duggan was punching him, he, he looked like he'd been um, run over by a car almost. Like, uh, mm. So I will give a big shout out, but it was nothing memorable. No, no, definitely not. Uh, back on our commentary table, we have more, I suppose, bullying of Bischoff. <laughs> uh, and I think Eric Bischoff here plays this off so well. He keeps asking them, what do you want? You know, you, you, why don't you leave me alone? I've got a job to do. And he looks, he's trying to be defiant. He's trying to stand up for himself. But you could see he's also worried for his own safety and he's scared. And he's basically being tormented by this gang of guys. I think Bischoff here does this really, really well, Danny. He really does. He's um, an MVP of this uh, episode of Nacho. But then we get a, pres- a proposition um, delivered to him by Hulk Hogan and Ted DiBiase, don't we? We do. He's told. and I mean... It was mentioned very briefly earlier on in the episode, but here it's very much stated that they tell Eric Bischoff he needs to change his life. And if you can't beat them, join them and so on. Effectively telling Bischoff, why don't you just come across to the NWO, which I find really interesting. Yeah. And I loved Eric Bischoff's reaction. It was like, it was like a, he just was disgusted by the idea. So mm. uh, brilliant stuff. Indeed. Uh, we then get Sting's music hitting, and I got a kick out of this so much because the crowd pop, and then I watch Jeffrey Farmer clapping and smiling and waving at the crowd, and it's just it's just real top class shit housery by the NWO, isn't it? Oh yeah, big time. And um, I just as I was watching this, I was thinking, I wonder if there's any fans there, any um, cheap seats who think that's Sting. <laughs> well, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Um, Eric Bischoff mentions that Sting is actually in Japan with the rest of WCW. I'm not sure about that because we know that Sting has basically said that he's buggering off for a bit. So maybe that was maybe that was a mistake by Bischoff. I'm not sure. I don't know if Sting actually went on that Japanese tour in real life. or I, I'm not sure, but yeah, it seemed an odd one for me considering what they're trying to build with Sting, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I can't imagine he would be because he said, um, although he did say he'd pop up from time to time. Uh, last week so who knows <laughs> yeah there we go uh, that brings us to nwo sting versus Bo ladu was that his name bola duke bola duke okay uh and it's a squash the nwo sting hits a couple of moves um, a stinger splash applies a scorpion deathlock and, and wins the match and that's kind of it danny isn't it for that one it is, yeah. And I've just, as you were just talking about, Sting was in Japan. Um, actually, on this night, he did a, uh, he faced um, Masahiro Chono and oh, okay. in a winning effort. Um, so he he actually did make the trip. Um, yeah, but in regards to this match, yeah, it's a very um, decent little wrestling match, I said, because um, fair enough, we know it's a squashing and things like that, but Bola Duke does get some moves in and we get um, we want Sting chance as well throughout the uh, the match before um, NWO Sting gets the uh, Scorpion Deathlock for the win. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, next up, I suppose, is what was going to always be our main event prior uh, prior NWO takeover, which is a scary thought because we have High Voltage versus the Amazing French Canadians. Doesn't strike me as a main event level match Danny to be fair but thankfully we don't get that we get uh, we get Hall and Nash hitting the ring and the amazing French Canadians just run away they want no part of this nonsense as well and Hall and Nash then squash high energy who I'm quite glad to see get squashed because on their entrance I don't know what it was about them I just thought I really don't like you Absolutely. I mean, nobody can stand. I mean, it's the music, the look, even the name is annoying. But I love this match because watching Scott Hall in his prime here apply something like a um, body scissors or something um, like him, Scott Hall applying uh, an STF at one point. It just looks incredible. 
I mean, you could definitely see see he was not past his prime here at all. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, this the show then goes off the air with the NWO surrounding Bischoff again, ranting and shouting, and all sorts of just chaos and nonsense is going on. Um, Nash is shouting about being in one of Hogan's movies, which I thought was quite funny. And then Scott Hall turns around and says to the giant, I gotta ask, was Andre really your dad? And the giant <laughs> just looks at him dead stone faced and almost almost upset and goes, Man, don't bring that up. Just don't bring that up. <laughs> it it's just comedy gold again, wasn't it? That was a perfect way to sign off because I would just it it got me really laughing because we've talked about it for months now, so it's ridiculous. And now it looks like that that um piece of kayfabe has finally died and I'm really happy about it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Um well there we go. That's the end of the episode. Uh, we've learned a few more matches that'll be coming up on the next pay-per-view, which is Halloween Havoc in a couple of weeks. And we've just seen a great deal of NWO comedy and chaos. Um, Danny, I suppose we should summarise the show in our usual way. Our plus points and our negatives. Our woos and our oh brothers, my friend. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want yeah. to go first or second? I'll go second this week, sir. Okay, no props. I will start, as always, with my old brother, because I like to finish on a positive. So my negative is the wrestling. It's a wrestling show. And whereas I found the show very entertaining, and I loved it from start to finish, the actual wrestling itself sucked. Yeah. So that's kind of, that, that's my negative. That's my old brother. What about yours, mate? Mine would be Jericho versus Enos because I just wasn't into it. Um, okay. But we said that, I've explained earlier. So, yeah, Jericho versus Enos. Fair enough. Uh, my woo this week, my highlight, my plus point, is pretty much everything Scott Hall did. He was funny on commentary. He was great in the ring. He was brilliant, just stood behind other people when they were on commentary or having a match or whatever. The guy is so charismatic, so funny, just a, a fantastic performer. Yeah, everything Scott Hall did is my woo. Just a top, top level performance this week. What about you, my friend? It would definitely have to be um, story advancement because we've seen the NWO messing around, having fun, but it also had me excited for how WCW is going to react um, when they come back. So it's like, yes, you did your job. Like, I mean, you intentionally made the wrestling on this episode bad, like on the second half, because it's making fans want to long for the WCW guys to come back. So, yeah, it would hmm. be the story. That's a really interesting point, actually, Danny. That's really that's a really good point. Um, overall, hit, miss or middling, but. Big hit, mate. Yeah, there was a fantastic. I will definitely go back and watch this. How about you, mate? <laughs> um, it's a funny one for me. I think from a wrestling standpoint, this is a mess. And ultimately, it's a wrestling TV show. However, from an entertainment standpoint, and as you said, from a story standpoint, it's a hit. I, I, I loved it from start to finish. I was so ent- But there wasn't any wrestling for me to watch. It, it's, it's a weird sort of almost contradiction in my own words but from a wrestling standpoint yeah it's it's a miss definitely but when reviewing the episode of nitro itself and taking the whole show in it's a big hit for me because i was entertained yeah okay so then i suppose before we depart we better let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online my good friend and all the shows and content you are involved in Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about the WCW guys coming back with the great Cy Powell. Oh, thank you very much. You're too kind. Uh, anything I'm involved in, as always, well, it's carried by the network that carries this show. So that's SJP World Media. And that's, you know, 
all sorts going on there. New shows being added all the time. Everyone knows the drill by now. We've got the Doctor Who pod. We've got the waiting room looking at Quantum Leap. We've got loads of wrestling going on. We've got Back When with Danny and Tyler as well. We've got Modern Day Wrestling covered with RSH coming to us from the States and in the corner from Benny Mac and Tyler in the UK. Uh, and as I said, we've got more and more shows coming all the time. Um, I believe at the moment there are five new shows in the pipeline. That'll be with you sometime in the next week to a couple of, to the next few months, depending on time frame. More live shows coming as well. All sorts going on there. That's at SJP World Media on all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. Uh, but this show itself, most importantly, you can find on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny. That's been a blast, my friend. I'm looking forward to seeing how the WCW guys react. Same here, mate. And I will speak to you again next week. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.